Up next on Inside the SECA, Solo Nationals History. On this episode of Inside the SECA, we're talking Solo Nationals, talking about the 50th anniversary of the Solo Nationals. Started way back in 1973. For those who are what they call 100 percenters, I won't tell them how old I was in 1973. Uh, But let's just say I I wasn't there. Speaking of 100 percenters, joining us on this episode is a man with a, a, a name most of the people in the club know, a face many of them know, and a voice they're going to get to know here, Rocky Entrican. How you doing, Rocky? I'm doing fine, Brian. How are you today? I'm doing real well. Welcome to the podcast. Hall of Famer, you've been to every single solo nationals. They call you a hundred percenter, and I understand that is a fairly exclusive club. It's a pretty small. There's only seven of us, and I expect all seven to be here this year. Yeah, th- <laughs> this year's a pretty big deal, right? Well, anytime you hit 50 or something, it's a big deal. Right, right. So it's the 50th It's fiftieth consecutive, right? There hasn't been a break, right? Uh, well, there was the, the COVID break in okay. 2020. Okay. But uh, this is the 50th event. It's... I guess you could say it's the 51st year, but it's the 50th running. <laughs> I, I, I like it. it. It's like what Indy does with theirs, exactly. their races. You know, this one coming up is what the the 116th running or something like that because right. they were interrupted with the war years. Sure, 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 sure. Um, and and not only are you a Hall of Famer, not only have you been to all 50, you did some road racing as well, right? Exactly. Okay, and you are. Probably the preeminent historian of all things SECA at this point, right? Well, a lot of SECA and certainly a solo. Sure. Because you were at one point <laughs> I, in time. I keep track of the runoffs, too. <laughs> I say you at one point in time, you were the club archivist, right? No, no. I, I never was that. Okay. Uh, I thought that was uh, one that of your titles. That started with Harry Hanley and uh, went through a couple of other people. Got it. Got it. <laughs> All right, so before we get too deep into your 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 background and your story, before we get to the story of Solo Nationals, um, I start every show with the same question, and that is, how did you get mixed up in this crazy sport that we all love? I got to blame my brother. <laughs> I had, uh, in 1965, I'd taken a tour of Europe with uh, a program that, Put us all on a chartered plane in Washington, D.C., and took off for the continent. Uh, I don't know why, but when the plane came back, it landed in New York City. And my brother lived there at the time. And I had two two weeks before I had to be back to college at University of Kansas. So I crashed with my brother. And he said, we're going to an autocross this weekend. And, what and I was- replied, what's that? What year was this? <laughs> 1965. Okay, okay. So he took me to an autocross. Next weekend, he took me to another one. Next weekend, just before I had to leave, I finally got up the courage to ask if I could drive his MGA. Ah, okay. (laughs) 
So do you remember, for, for those folks who from the New York region who watch, and I know we have some, do you remember where that autocross, those autocrosses were? Oh, yes. It was Mitchell Field on Long Island. Uh, the event was put on by a club called Team X, okay. which is one of these by-invitation-only groups. And Buck was a member. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I think that's now called Roosevelt Field. Um. And so, so was Mitchell Field, was that MacArthur at the time? Or was, was that what is now MacArthur? Or was that what is now Farmingdale? No, that's uh, was, uh, well, it was, it was Hofstra University's property. Okay. So, so Hempstead. Yeah, yeah. Hempstead. So it is Roosevelt Field. Um, I believe okay. that uh, New York Region Solo still runs their solo events there today. Well, um, I remember it was a hell of a sight. So that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Um, so it was an MGA, and uh, how, how did you, did you beat your brother the first time? <laughs> His comment was, "You won't beat anybody." <laughs> but we had a twenty-one car class, and I finished twelfth. Uh, nothing wrong with that. And I finished fifth. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with that. So, so oh, I I, I felt fine. Uh, and there there is one one funny story about that too. If I want to, uh, he had a friend uh, in his club. Don't know if he's still around. His name was Sam Moskowitz. Okay. And next time he saw Sam, he said, Sam, my brother beat you in the autocross. <laughs> well, yeah. No, I figured he's your brother and all. Well, that's the first time he's ever driven my car. Well, you know, he's your brother and all. That's the first time he's ever driven an autocross. <laughs> <laughs> and as for me, I went home to Lawrence, Kansas, and bought the Spitfire. <laughs> okay. Okay, so that was going to be my next question. You went right into a Triumph Spitfire. I did. And how long did you uh, how long did you autocross that? I I last time I drove an autocross with it was twenty eleven, maybe early twenty twelve. Do you still have it? Oh yes. Is there any chance uh, it's, it's going to? It's looking for a home in a museum right now. I was going to say, <laughs> is, is there any chance it's going to make an appearance at the fiftieth running of the Solo Nationals? It will, but it will be in the uh, museum display. Got it. Okay. Uh, they have already arranged that I'm going to leave it. There's going to be a display there of things of the history of the of the runoffs. And uh, I'm sorry, of the nationals, and it's in one of those buildings just off the uh, off the entrance to the site. And my Spitfire is going to be there. So was that <laughs> was that the Spitfire that you drove in 1973? It was. I have. Uh, I have. I bought the car in '65, and I've never sold it. Okay. It's out in the garage now. <laughs> so, what's your best result with the Spitz with the Spitfire? Probably the 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 one I can brag about the most is my Solo One National Championship, which was the first year of Solo One. That was uh, 86. And uh, I finally got me the first place trophy. That was the Olympics of, of autocross. And the Internet or the U.S. Olympic Committee got mad at us because of that. <laughs> yeah, they're pretty. I have an Olympic medal. <laughs> my God. They're pretty proprietary with their 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 naming. Well, I think SCCA wasn't really aware of that because they didn't argue the point. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So, how many events did you do 
uh, how many nationals did you do in the Spitfire? I Approximately. think at least 37 or 38. Okay. Okay. So, and you've been to all 50. What did you race for the other, what is that, 13? Well, since um, since the last time in the Spitfire, I've been driving a uh, Mazda Miata. Okay. A uh, 99 for a few years, and then uh, what I had now is a 2000, still an NB. And uh, right nowadays, no, I'm just trying to hold off last place. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing wrong. Just showing up well, is, is I good. I love being there. And doing your, doing your thing. So. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, and then you've also done some road racing. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, you know, my, uh, I out across the Spitfire first, you know, from 65 when I bought it, thing almost seemed to break. Oh, my computer just binged on me. That's right. <laughs> uh, the thing almost seemed to break around, uh, August or so. So finally in 71, I gave it to Buck who by this time had moved to Lawrence, Kansas, and had an auto shop of his own going on. Okay. I gave my car to Buck and I said, make this a race car. And um, I'll take it back in a couple, three years. And meanwhile, go road race it. So he turned it into a race car and got it to the, uh, to the runoffs twice. And then in 74, I got it back. In 73, for the first Nationals, I drove the, my uh, daily driver Pinto in the G-Stock. But uh, then it's, since 74, on up through 2011-ish, uh, uh, it was always in the Spitfire. And always in uh, prepared class. Got it. By now, it's full race. Sure, sure. Now, did you did you race the runoffs at all? Once. <laughs> Uh, in my last year of really competing the Spitfire, I, I should say I I was always a regional racer back in the days when they had regionals and nationals. And I ran regionals several times, kept trying to win the mid-am championship, finally did a couple of times, got my 2010 shirt on here. <laughs> uh, but uh, for 2011, I looked at my wife and I said, just once. I want to do a national season and go to the runoffs just to say I did it. Right. No, fully expecting to be DFL, just had the happy to be here guy. And uh, it was beyond expectations, totally. I did five national races. I finished every one of them. I had a problem at the end of every one of them. <laughs> I took the car back to uh, Jesse Prather's shop, who really kind of kept on fixing what I broke. <laughs> and the great thing about that is that when I got to uh, Road America for the Nationals, I had an absolutely trouble-free week while guys in the same paddock area as me were just flogging on their cars all week, and a guy in another Spitfire changed engines twice, never even got to race. Wow. So I was out there, and I could say I was the top Spitfire at the 2011 Nationals. How, how many Spitfires were there? <laughs> well, there were three entered. Well, that's but good. That was the only one that started. <laughs> okay, okay. So but the real thing, I, I should tell you that, uh, as I said, it was beyond the expectations because I figured I was just going to hold off last place or right. not. I started twentieth, dead last. Yeah, I finished eleventh. That's fantastic. And 
my key was it was a wet track. There you go. <laughs> and I like the wet. <laughs> That's awesome. So, so, and you won a mid am championship in what the Spitfire was H production at the time, right? Uh, let's see. 20, I won two of them. Okay. In 2006, I won it. And that was the last year of G. My car in autocross was G prepared and in road racing was G production. Okay. In 2010, it was an East production car. Got it. Got it. So, I mean, the, mid, <laughs> the mid-am region, I just got back from Hallett um, for the for the Super Tour. There are some pretty stout production cars in the mid-am region. So, oh, yeah. to, win a, to win a regional championship or a divisional championship in that region in production, that's that's not uh, that's nothing to sneeze at. Well, no, one, of, one of the things I really like is that that national season, I finished third. Uh, you know, I'm the points keeper right. here in the Midwest Division. <laughs> and so I've been sending trophies to race drivers yeah. years and trying to win one of my own. So you saved the division 20 bucks. The hell I did. I bought that damn trophy. <laughs> no, but you didn't have to send it to anybody. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But uh, I am so proud of my little third place leather seat stool. That's great. <laughs> that's great. So, so in 2011, you were at the runoffs and at the solo nationals, right? Because you said you've I done was. all 50. So, how many drivers have qualified for both? Have have done both in the same year? I couldn't tell you really how many drivers have done both, but I can look at my book and tell you how many have won in both sides. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Uh, just because I can't imagine that most people who are going to attempt to get to the solo nationals and to the runoffs try to do it in the same year. Not most. Oh, well, yeah. I mean, they'll try to you know run the events the same year. That's not that odd. Okay. Try to win the events. Okay. That's something else again. Oh, sure, absolutely. absolutely. And what what got me to uh, to creating a category in my record book about that was really when Eric Pearl did it. Okay. And I want to tell you, you know, he was so proud of that solo nationals one. Yeah. But he did uh, driving for Bob Tennell in, in Tennell's car. And I remember next year, Tennell was griping at Eric saying, you know, just because you missed the strategy meeting. <laughs> uh, Tennell was one of the guys he beat. <laughs> sure. Of course. Of course. So what, um, you said your solo two nationals is is kind of your crowning moment, um, but I've got you've got to imagine over fifty years at solo nationals and doing everything you've done. You've got some stories to tell. Um, what's your best? <laughs> what, what what's your best story from those fifty years? Oh my goodness! <laughs> you know I haven't even thought about that as a best story. Uh, no, uh, or give me I, one of them. Give me give me give me one of them. <laughs> Well, I don't know. D didn't you mention you were going to go into the uh, the beginnings at the first? Yeah, we're going to get to that in the second half so, hour. So I'm. Let me, let me talk. Let me just talk about the beginnings because it's a pretty good story. Sure, sure. No, I went to that one in in my Pinto because Buck was still racing the Spitfire that year, and um, first event was really not that great. An event. Uh, 
Most of us only got two runs on a course, the short course. He had long course and short course. This is at a racetrack in Winslow, Missouri, Mid-America Raceway. And the, uh, the long course, you drove backwards on the track until you got to turn seven, and they sent you off on this series of slaloms until you got to turn one where there was a box turn, a box finish. How many people know what a box finish is? I don't know. I don't know what a box finish is. A box finish is you get to the finish line, and there is a box of cones. you got to stop without going outside that box. Oh. And all of those cones are live. Okay. So I, I, I do remember, no, I think it was Mark Schoenfeld in his pink Corvette coming up. He was determined he wasn't going to hit the brakes until he hit that finish line. <laughs> And he buried that Corvette in smoke. <laughs> and did he hit the and cones? And then when the smoke cleared, there was a pylon laying down. <laughs> one? I think just, just the one. Wow. I can't remember if it was leaning against the fender and he backed up or if it went all the way. But So I get out there and I'm thinking the same thing. I'm not going to stop until I hit that finish line. Yeah, how'd that work I for hit you? the finish line. <laughs> so first of all, we're at the start. The timing didn't work. They had a mile of wire between the two lights. Okay. Somewhere there was a break. So they ended up with a uh, walkie-talkie guy at the start, you know, one, two, three, go. Uh -huh. And the guy finished punches the wall. Sure. And so I'm so focused on him saying one, two, three, go. I forgot the little detail of get some revs up. <laughs> <laughs> and I hit the gas and <laughs> so that probably cost me. I finished ninth and I probably could have gotten the fifth out of it. Sure. But I'm up and down, up the hill, down the hill, and back up the hill. And I'm just on the last one. My jacket sleeve catches the, the tongue of the seatbelt. And I go through that last turn sitting on the gear shift level. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And I get up to the top. Okay. <laughs> So now I get my other run, and I come through it. I'm all coming through it pretty good, and I say, I'm not going to stop until I go through it past the light. I hit that finish line. I'm not going to get stopped. I throw it sideways, and I am right up against the row of pylons. <laughs> I've got to back up a little bit, go forward a little bit, back up a little bit more before I can get myself pointed to where I can even get out. The, the pylon they pulled out of the way for me to escape. And I was worried about the next car coming up the hill. And while you're doing all that backing and, and all of that, is the clock still running? No, I'd stopped the clock by then. Oh, okay. They just had to count a lot of pylons. No, then they had to remove a cone so the guy can get out, <laughs> out of the box. And But I couldn't just turn and drive out without hitting a cone. So I had to back up to give me enough room. <laughs> That's good stuff. Uh, there's there's my my first solo nationals. Sports car asked me to go cover it, and I did. And then I said, "Well, I'll do the second one." And, well, I was chairman of the third one, and then uh, I've had the sports car gig ever since. So, fifty years ago, nineteen seventy three. Well, I guess it was probably seventy two if you skipped one year, right? Yeah. Okay. So in 1972, when you're doing that first one, any ideas, any thoughts that 50 years later or 51 years later, you would be at the 
the 50th running and you would not have missed any of them? Well, actually, 53 was the very first one. Okay. Because in 52, if 52. <laughs> 70. Uh, 72? Yeah. 73? <laughs> Since in 72, the solo board decreed that every division would put on a divisional championship. This was because they were going to do a national the following year. Got it. And at that time, doing the divisional was the qualification to do the national. Got it. Got you didn't it. have to do well. You just had to do it. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> but but back to the question of 50 years, did you ever think that, I mean, a lot of life can happen in 50 years. You can have a, I, uh, a broken car. You can I have. Don't, I don't think in the 70s that was really an issue. It was sure. mostly a case of, you know, it's not that far for me. I'm in the middle of Kansas. Right. My longest total in Nationals was Columbus, Ohio. Sure. For me, 16 hours. And there were people coming from the coast, you know, two or three day drive to get there. Right. So I, uh, you know, in the 70s, it was just, sure, I'll do it. And by the time it got to the 10th one, and we began to pay attention to who were still had been to all 10. Right. And I think we were still under two dozen at that point. Wow. Uh, no, it was, yeah, we're going to keep, keep on doing this. And so there were, like I say, a couple dozen of us who, uh, by that, by the, uh, mid eighties began to call ourselves a hundred percenters. Okay. Cause all right. I mean that quickly, the number got down to where there was few enough to count. Right. Right. So, and, and there's seven now, right? There, there are seven left right now. And how long has it been at seven? Do you, do you know? It's been at seven. I think the last one we lost was Bill Lane. Okay. And I'd have to look them up, but I can tell you when we lost Bill. No, Phil Allspack was the last one we lost. Excuse me a minute while I peek into my book. So for those who are who are wondering, Bill what... Lane, no, but Bill Lane was the last one. We lost him in 2010. Okay, okay. Phil uh, Allspack, we lost in uh, 2001. So, so people know what the book is you're looking at. Tell us about that book. The book, the book. This is my record book of the Solo Nationals. Okay, you see, it's a fairly thick tome, <laughs> but uh, this started out because. Sports cars sent me to cover the first one. They sent me to cover the second one. And I began to realize, you know, there's no press guide to this thing. If I want one, I got to make my own. Sure. Wasn't too long before people discovered I had these records, <laughs> which at the time was nothing more than the uh, records of what everybody did, what I now call the alpha list. Sure. It, it, it looked kind of like this, as you can see see them in there yep. and this is the list of every finish by every driver who's ever run the nationals so for oh, those of you who might not watch right there. yeah that's kathy barnes right there you see yeah. some people who've done a lot sure. and people who've done just one right right they're all there and i started keeping that i think it was roger johnson who first asked me if i would print him a copy yeah and so yeah with my little dot matrix Packed tractor feed printer. I ran him off a copy. Someone else asked for it. 
And I began making a book that was a loose leaf binder. Sure. And and started started selling it. Yeah. You know, for a little bit more than what it cost me to buy the things and get it printed at the local coffee shop. Right. And it's only about three four years ago I discovered Amazon would let me do this. Yes. So yes. Now I have this nice pretty paperback book that I'll sell anybody. And. and and, I, and like I tell people, you know, I'm not paying the mortgage with this thing. <laughs> you know, I might knock off a couple of entry fees. There you go. So, so, so everybody who's ever run at the Solo Nationals, their name is in that book, right? Their name is in that book, no matter how famous or obscure they are. So, so I'm hoping this year to go to my first and and do the podcast oh, well, next year you'll be in the book that's what i'm saying i'm gonna wait till next i was gonna buy the book this year but i might just wait till next year well you buy the book this year if you need it for the reference yeah you buy the book next year because this is the one you put on your coffee table that's to right. show everybody you're in it that's cool that's pretty cool <laughs> no i i did by the way i might just throwing almost a little commercial right in here i just got the information yesterday for amazon that they're raising the prices to print the book. Uh oh. So my price is going to go up five bucks in the middle of June. If so, anybody is thinking I'm going to get one for this year, do it now before the middle of June arrives. You get the cheap rate. All right, <laughs> and we'll put the link in the show notes uh, so you can just one click right to the book. Um, we'll get that in there in the next 24 hours or so for those who are uh, for those who might be watching. Um, oh, that'd be, that'd be wonderful, but. Uh, you, you can, it's easy enough to find if you just get amazon.com and then on their searches, put solo stats. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> All right. So before we go in and talk more about the 50 years and how everything has changed and what you've seen, cause you've seen it all. You're kind of like that, that commercial for, for some insurance company who says we, we know a lot cause we've seen a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, can you give us a little history? And I know you can because you just told me that you've got an upcoming article in Sports Car. Um, what is the origins of Solo? The Well, the origin of Solo is totally not SECA. Okay. This was a game that was played on a, a very tight regional level. Most metro communities, I found out, from the uh, – starting about the mid-50s and up into the 60s, had their sports car councils. Uh, I started in 65. I was living in Lawrence, Kansas at the time. I was a member of the Kansas City Triumph Club. Okay. Well, they put on events. The MG Club put in events. The Sports Club, the Corvair Club, the Corvette Club, the Mustang Falcon Club. Mm. Yeah, they had two things, and uh, – the Mustang Falcon Club is where I first ran an event called the Miracana. Mm. And I should tell you a little bit about that in a, in a while. Or don't forget to bring me back to it. Okay. Anyway, um, there were all of these clubs, and to coordinate them, you had an, a council, the Kansas City Council of Sports Car Clubs. I mean, when I ran the event out in Long Island, there was a uh, no New York Council, New York Area Council. Uh, when I met the people from California, there was Nixick and Sixick. Nixick, Northern California Council of Sports Car Clubs. Sure. And et cetera. And, uh, and you found these all over the country. 
And there aren't many left. One of them is the Midwest Council of Sports Car Clubs. That was one of my uh, re- things that we did when we lived in Wisconsin. Um, that would have covered the Chicago, Milwaukee area up around that. Michigan and Indiana. Yep. Huh? Michigan and Indiana. So it was those four states. So, and, yeah. and that's pretty much where it was. Of course, they all had had their own rules. And there were, if you go from one club to another, the rules were always different. You know, <laughs> I mean... You got me running against TR6s here. I only ran against midgets in the other club. <laughs> you know, and, but, uh, you know, that that was pretty much how it was. And SECA was a very minor player. Right. And some places they were members of one of the council, the local region might have been. In other places, uh, we're a race club. We don't do that stuff. <laughs> And, and uh, it, that's still that way today. There's a lot of regions where their solo club, Cal Club, is 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 part of that. Um, oh, where yeah. where their solo club is at, almost like it's a completely different organization. Well, I mean, the best example, the the newest region. You know what the newest region in uh, SECA is? I, I don't know, but you're going to tell me. AZ Solo Region. They Wait. even put solo in the name, and but it's the. Uh, it's essentially the same kind of area as Arizona region, but it's it's geared to the solo guys. Sure, sure. And uh, and, and and there are clubs that are the, my club, Salina region. We're strictly a solo region. Right. We don't have a racetrack. Right. But uh, since I've been playing on both sides of the fence, you know, I get down to the races too. I'll be at a at a race at the Heartland Park this weekend. <laughs> right. Right. So. so so tell me about that first uh, that first uh, event you did with the Mustang Falcon Club. Ha! I went there and they they put on an event they called it Americana, and it was if you can imagine if you take the Indy Speedway only at the at the turn one two and turn three and four you got a whole lot of wiggle in it to drive through. That's Americana. Okay. One guy starts here. One guy starts here. You drive the whole course. First one back wins. Oh, okay. I love that event. The only problem with it, it was a single elimination event, which means half of the entry got one run. Oh, wow. Yeah, that would stink. <laughs> yeah. And I said, that was a ton of fun, except for that one run stuff. Right, right. So, uh, so uh, several years later, uh, 72, I think now, 73, 72, 72, I put on the first Americana in Salina. And I said, I got to give people more than one run. And what I came up with was, first of all, everybody gets practice. One run from each side. So they get an idea of what the course is like. Sure. Then I make it a double elimination tournament. So at minimum, everybody gets four times on the course. Okay. Well, I put on 30 of Americanas over the years. You know, mostly... You know, from 72, 70, 70, 73, and 74, I didn't in 75 because I was doing the national, but I'm the chairman of that. And then from 76 on up to the 30th one, I did one every year. Sure. Uh, and people just people just loved it. They'd come from all over. Uh, we began a Kansas Solo 2 championship, and it was the keystone event of that. The biggest entry I had was 129 cars. It took me two days to run the event. I bet, yeah. Especially when you got to so, go at least four runs. So, it, it, and uh, 
but people like the idea there there's there's no clocks we don't even drag out the clock first guy back to the line wins uh what did we do about pylons three pylons for free okay you can hit three pylons with no penalty number four is a dnf oh well there you go <laughs> you know but what if i hit four and he hits five the guy that hits five loses there you go he's got to hit less <laughs> than the, the other guy and and we tried to make it as you know rule friendly uh the judges we got i got two judges outside the courts they are looking across at each other and they decide who wins if they disagree we don't discuss it rerun <laughs> <laughs> i love it which really is very seldom you get a rerun but there's one or two at each event absolutely i would just and, say a rerun to get another run yeah because since there's so few, it doesn't take that much time to do a re- It takes more time to argue the fact. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. All right, so let's go back to not the the first solo nationals. Going back to the well, going going back to the start. I, I was talking about the uh, the councils. Uh, Vern Jakes was a fellow down in San Diego region, who uh, his idea was he wanted to bring hill climb to his region. Okay, and with a rule set, and he pitched it to the uh, board of governors, as it was called then. Sure. And they came back and they said, yeah, and uh, why don't we throw in these little, you know, slalom guys into that basket, too? So, Vern Jakes, who was not thinking autocross when he started this, and frankly, he didn't think the autocross guys would even care about it. He was wrong. (laughs) And he said he was wrong in a story he wrote uh, some years later. No. really was kind of tongue-in-cheek but he invented the concept of a national rule set for autocross okay and from that it just went from almost nothing to okay Vern, you're going to be head of the solo board next year <laughs> uh mark reynolds was the solo board head a couple of years later we're going to have divisionals every place next year we got a national championship so in about five years we went from nothing to a national championship set up. Wow. People really jumped on it. Yeah. And SCCA went from a nothing in the world of autocross to really the driver of what world cross became. Because we we are the the preeminent, you know, autocross body at this point. Sure, <laughs> sure. So going back to the first nationals, um, what was the what was was there a lot of excitement about it? Was it do we did you wonder if anybody was actually going to show up? What was what was kind of the idea going in? I think probably probably both, depending on who you're talking to. Do you wonder if anybody's going to show up? St. Louis region figured they might have a hundred cars. They got two hundred and twenty-four. That's a success. From, and they came from both coasts. We had guys who won the event, came from uh, East Coast, came from California. One of the champions came from Hawaii. Wow. 
we got to say, the car didn't. The car sure. was in a garage in Oklahoma. <laughs> but he was an Air Force officer who caught a flight, came in, got the car, dragged it up to St. Louis, and uh, won a championship with it <laughs> in being modified. In the, was Chuck Van Nostrand was his name. <laughs> in the origins of autocross, Jim Connor or whatever we, we called it back in its various iterations, wasn't it a, a very popular among military men? I think it, I think it became somewhat popular. I don't have a whole lot of background to uh, say it was this or was that, but I do know that one of the things that made sports cars such a thing in this country were the GIs who brought MGTDs and TCs back from Merry Old England yep. after the World War II was over. And, and, and the fact this was the type of guy who gathered in that living room in Connecticut in 1944 and formed the sports car club of America. Right. And, and a lot of the races at that point in time were done on air force bases because those kind of came, came a little later. Okay. Actually the, the earliest races were things like, like, well, like at Watkins Glen, that track didn't exist then. Right. Watkins Glen's first road races was on, I believe it was a six mile layout that drove on, all kinds of roads around this little village and through the main street of this little village. And it literally ran on every surface imaginable, including dirt, including brick, including jumping over some railroad tracks. Wow. They arranged to stop the trains so the race could go on. That's cool. <laughs> and uh, after, you know, and the only barriers were hay bales along the side with people standing right behind them. <laughs> Different time, huh? Oh, it was it was wild, you know. <laughs> and a lot of your earliest road races in the forties, this is what you were get, getting. Wow. And then when those sites began to go away, because you know people started doing no. things like Dying. running into the hay bales <laughs> and what was behind them, right? Uh, and people, you know, some people got killed doing it. Sure. So uh, you got to credit a certain Hall of Famer that the uh, Air Force people would know about General Curtis LeMay. Mm -hmm. He's the one who said to the uh, SCCA, uh, guys, I've got these airports that mostly we're not doing anything on them. I can put on a road race there. And so there were several races run on your Air Force bases. And that is, of course, is ultimately is what got Curtis LeMay into the SCCA Hall of Fame. Yep. And I think he also... Uh, won the Wolf Bernardo. Sure. So, so anyway, uh, so we, we began really as a racing club, but we didn't get into the autocross side of it until we started to, uh, until Vern Jakes, and we began to have a national program on that. And uh, very quickly, as I say, we got to nothing to a national championship in about five years. Yeah, absolutely. So at that first national championship, was the feeling that this was going to become an annual event after the, the success of I getting think 200 the whole cars? was at that time it would be a national event. I right. think the, the solar board of the era intended, because they're, in, in effect, copying the runoffs. Right. The runoffs began informally, you know, kind of unofficially in 1964. The first one at... Uh, at Riverside, and then the second one at Daytona, or maybe it's the other way around. Right. I forget. We're technically 
just runoffs, unofficial races. And only in retrospect are we considering those winners of those two years to be the road race national champions. Sure. Uh, six, seven, 64, uh, prior to 64, your national champions were done on the points basis of races all around the country, not just road races, hill climbs too. Oh, okay. And other time trials and whatnot. There are all kinds of things that worked into the, uh, into the history of it. Hmm. Uh, you know, John Fitch, who was our first champion in, oh, I want to say, you no. Know, 56 or somewhere around there. He's a name most people in the SEC don't know today. He was very high up in the SEC at the time. and But the only way you'd know the name John Fitch, and maybe not the name, you ever come to a bridge or a yep. overpass where you got all these barrels sitting out in front of the bus? Those are called Fitch barriers. They John are. Fitch. Yeah. And he was our first national champion. He, he was an uh, engineer who spent his career working on making the world of, of automobile stuff safer. Exactly. Uh, uh, and a lot of what he did, those of us from New York region, John Fitch is our legend. Um, he, he would come to Lime Rock all the way into the early 2000s. Um, that's where I met John. And just the sweetest man you've ever met, I got to tell you. Oh, I'm jealous of you. I wish I could have met him. Yeah. So, um, um, so, so the solo championship idea, I think, hey, these road racers got this thing they've been doing for 10 years or so. We can do that. So, boom, we had a championship. And I'm sure that the, in the intent all the way through was that it would be a continuing event. What surprised me, I will tell you, was that the first one, Really, I mean, it wasn't that good an event. Uh, our paddock was dirt and gravel. Uh, we didn't even get to start running until halfway till afternoon on Saturday because the solar board came in. They hated the course and they changed the whole concept, built the whole thing, and there was so much reinventing on the lot. I, I was afraid that people might get turned off. They didn't. We went the next year to Lake Geneva, Wisconsin. Chicago region put on the event, and uh, there were over 300 entrants to that one. Really? Because I, I grew up <laughs> in in a little town just outside of Lake Geneva, and I had no idea that the solo nationals were in Lake Geneva. They were, yeah. And in the 74, I, I want to dig up a little number here if I can find it. There it is, yeah. And, uh, well, Mid-America, we had 224 cars. Okay. Geneva had 249. What Do you have info on where the site was there? I'm just curious. It, the site was Lake Geneva Raceway. Oh, okay. Okay. Are, are you familiar with it? I am, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Most people, I'm sure, aren't. So, if I may, Lake Geneva Raceway was just a little small yep. oval, flat, absolutely no just absolutely flat with a drag strip running up the middle through the ends of the oval. The course, and on one side, I should say, the paddock was this gravel lot, looked like about two stories up, hidden behind a concrete wall that was right beside one side of the oval. The other side was just grass over there. Right. Of course, started on the drag strip, 
went over next to the wall on the oval to the far side, came back down the drag strip, went around the oval on the other side, and then shot off to the runoff area of the drag strip. And I will tell you that in driving 49 solo national championships, the only place I ever hit fourth gear in my Spitfire <laughs> was that finish shot on that drag strip. Oh, that's cool. <laughs> that's very cool. But that was also, Solo Board changed the course that year also. Okay. And uh, because the start went right next to that concrete wall. Ah. And the Solo Board pulled the course as tight to the inside of the track as they could to get it away from that wall. And then just to prove that they were right that time, I kind of wonder about the first one, but that time they were right because at least two cars still got into the wall. <laughs> it was wet. It was raining. Sure. <laughs> sure. So how many, how many different locations did the, the solo nationals or has the solo nationals been to over the years? We've had 11, 11 nationals. Most of them have been airports. Uh, right. A few others. Uh, mine was the first airport course. I say mine, but I was chair of the 75 nationals. And I went into that one with a goal in mind. The solo board would not come and mess with my course. <laughs> How'd that work? Actually, very well. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, the event was in October. I told the solo board I wanted to do this. They were afraid I'd go out and practice the course or that we have people doing it. Right. And I had promised them. I said, Salina has maybe two SECA members. The other guy's a race driver. He doesn't care about us. You know, and I will just promise on my firstborn, I won't go practice the course. So they let me do it. We went and set up the courses in May, uh, tested them out. We, we ran cars through them, not at speed. Right. We ran cars through them slowly just to make sure they fit. <laughs> you know, we didn't really have a good angle on that. But right. the idea of setting up the course ahead of time and running cars through it and then painting it down so we knew where the course was several months later has now become the standard operating procedure. Sure, sure. And, and uh, do the course designers today compete? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, oh, yeah. They will compete. They usually don't drive the tests. The tests would be driven by people like Howard might go out, you know, when he was sure. in charge. He'd go out and take a hot lap through the course and probably wouldn't drive the event or if he did, he'd do a, a for a while, SEC had a staff challenge going on oh, okay. where staff members were not allowed to compete. Got it. So they could jump in as a, you know, exhibition entry. Sure. And so he could do that. Uh, but, um, yeah, most mostly, uh, it's, it's like I say, that was the way that we got the idea of doing it and doing this uh, pre-test. Ahead of time. That was me doing it for the first time in Salina. Right. So how how has the format of the event changed over the years, or or has it? Oh, it, it actually has quite a bit. Those first events were just weekend events. You know, you show up Friday night, you run Saturday, Sunday, and go home. Um, it wasn't until we got past the Dallas events. You no, know, we've had... The first one in in St. Louis, 
Then the one in Lake Geneva, mine in Salina. The fourth one, we were at the uh, Ohio State Fairgrounds, Columbus, Ohio. Number five was Dallas, Texas. Six was Hutchinson, Kansas, on a racetrack there. Airport turned into a racetrack. Seventh went back to Dallas. That was for the 70s. In 1980, it came back to Salina, and the entry was getting pretty good by then. I got to look it up here. The entry was up to 353 in 1980. Got it. Um, and we're saying it's hard to get this many cars through two courses in two days. It's just funny because nowadays we're doing just about that number as a regular thing. About 350 or so per day is what we're doing now every time. Right. But back then, it was a little bit uh, harder. So in 1980, they went to three days. We'll do it Friday, Saturday, Sunday. And the way they got three days in was you ran one course in the morning, the other one in the afternoon. Sure, sure. Uh, that lasted through uh, two more years back in Salina. Kansas City region was chairing the event then. Uh, and then we went back to Chicago in 82, the 10th anniversary. It was going to be a big deal. <laughs> and we ran on what I got to say it was the only real parking lot of something that's really been a parking lot sport. Sure. And where was that at? Uh, Marriott's Great America Amusement Park. I've been there many times. Yes, and we had we had the same same format, three day format, right? Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and of course that's where everybody first was introduced to the Chicago box. Okay, <laughs> everybody knows pretty much what a Chicago box. Most people don't know where it came from, but Chicago region. Had three of them on one of the courses at that event. So for those who might not know, tell us what a Chicago box is. A Chicago box is basically a three-cone slalom. Okay. Only you build a box around it, you know, and it becomes this visual thing where you don't want to go slide through and some, you know, some are long, some are short. Uh, but to get through this three-cone slalom, uh you get intimidated by these two dozen cones mm. that are surrounding it when actually you should just ignore them. <laughs> right. Right. Cool. Um, over the years, how do, how have the courses changed? They become looser. Uh, to start out with the early events, they were trying to do two separate concepts. Okay. Usually it was a long course, a short course the tight course, the loose course, or something like that. And there were these group of loudmouths out in San Francisco. <laughs> and I might mention I was raised in San Francisco. <laughs> I love those guys. But we heard time and again, that's not how we do it. And as anybody who, with a little time in this game might imagine, one of the chief loudmouths I speak of was John Kelly, mm. who brought a lot to this sport and he has the solo cup and he has some other things and he is ultimately deserving all of them. And he was also a number one curmudgeon and he was a good friend of mine for many, many years. So I can say that. Well, as a card carrying uh, member of the curmudgeon club, I like that. Yeah. We kept hearing that San Francisco does it in this different way, which is really nothing more than let's just have two courses. 
one over here, one over here, just different. Um, what happened was in 83, Charlie Clark was going to be chair of the Nationals, back at Salina again, Kansas City as the host again, and he invites San Francisco to come out and co-chair with him. And they, they ended up with Mary Rice, who was a like 10 or 11 time champion now. Sure. Came out and was co-chair with Charlie. And they set up, they did a lot of things, especially courses, like San Francisco likes to do it. And people began to realize, yeah, this is pretty cool. Yeah. And so the idea of just two good courses is become the pattern nowadays. But in the early days, oh, they got away from the big, little, fast flow and stuff like that. That's that's mainly it. Oh, uh, the oh, I was just trying to think of uh, one thing, and it just jumped out of my mind right now. But so but, oh, I was saying one of the courses here in Salina, after we went to the old airport, I remember there was this uh, fella who had this uh, beautiful, beautiful Porsche 914 that he ran, Gary Walton. He came out and was the chair one year, and he had courses. You're looking at gates 10 feet wide, 15 feet wide, whatnot. He had gates 40 feet wide. <laughs> I mean, you talk about what they like, what San Francisco liked was find your own line. Sure. A 40-foot wide set of slaloms or gates or something like that really lets you find your own line <laughs> because there was still, no matter how tight or how wide that gate was, there's still only one good line through that corner. <laughs> I was just going to say, find your own line is great if you know what the right line is and no one else does. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and this was before we got to course design a la Karen Babb and Roger H. Johnson. Right. And you you know those names, of course. Uh, you no, know, Hall of Famers both. I used to love to go on Roger Johnson's courses and find his traps. Okay. No, I'm not even sure he'll admit that he set traps. Ah. But one of my favorites was he would set a course, like say just a simple U-turn, right? Sure. And you put a pile on up here, and then you put another pile on over here, and you do the U-turn. Then he pulled this pile on and pull it in, which people arriving at it would come up and pull it too tight and mess themselves up for the other half of the turn. <laughs> yep. Yeah. So, so Rocky, as we, we we're coming up on the clock here. Um, okay. I, 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 we could talk for hours and I suspect that I'm going <laughs> to yeah. have you back on for another podcast down the road here. Uh, Cause there's a, a lot more I'm sure we could get to, but uh, we're heading to Lincoln here uh, in a couple of months for the 50th anniversary. Um, what, what what are you thinking about when you when you think of fifty years and you and you and you're getting ready to go to Lincoln? What are you looking forward to this year? I think I'm looking forward to the mob scene. No, uh, we have hit the maximum once. We had thirteen hundred and seventy five people. Wow! At the event in uh, twenty eighteen and uh, twenty nineteen, it dropped off a little. 
when at 20 we didn't have it, and that kind of put a bit of a damper. So 21 and 22, we're trying to get back to, to that. If any year is going to push that entry limit, it's going to be the 50th anniversary. And uh, this is why I've been telling people, when that third tier registration opens, uh, I thought it June 29 or so, you better be on your computer sometime before about six or seven o'clock that evening. You might find that thing filled in one day. Yeah. Which happened in 2018. Sure. <laughs> sure. So don't dawdle. Don't think maybe I'll go. I'll think about it. No, sign up now. You can always cancel. <laughs> so, so for someone who's considering making their first trip, um, what what advice do you have for a noob like me? Uh, I I haven't run any kind of solo consistently since 1980 something when I ran like half a season, and uh, I just figure if I'm going to go and cover it, I might as well put an entry in and and run it. Um, what, Absolutely. What what kind of um, what kind of advice do you have for someone like me who might be making their trip for the first time to the 50th anniversary show? Go to enjoy the event. Right. Don't go thinking you're going to do anything heroic. Oh, no. I have I have no competition. There. <laughs> you, especially the new, the, the guy who's, even the guy who's been all across in three or four years or something like that. Yeah. You're not going there to win a championship. Nope. You're going there to be a part of an immense and incredible happening. And enjoy the event for what it is. Watch other people learn things, um, but don't be disappointed if you're sitting there, you know, in 40th place in a 42-car class. Yeah, my, my only goal would be to not finish DFL. <laughs> well, you know something? If there's 80-some classes, and uh, if you take the ladies that'll stand empty, maybe about 72 to 75, there's going to be 72 or 75 champions. There's going to be 72 to 75 DFLs. That's true. And DFLs can have just as much damn fun. Oh, I'm going to have fun regardless. I'm going <laughs> yes. to have fun regardless. So, I think you talk about our 100 percenters. Uh, I mentioned Bill Lane, who is no longer uh, coming, no longer with us, I don't think. But uh, And he probably bought more different cars. I love the year he brought a Daewoo. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> he also had this wedge-shaped Lotus 11 that just looked like a doorstop. Okay. <laughs> and he ran most of the years in CMOD or whatever. But he just loved being there. And that was the reason he came. He probably finished last more than any other person I know. And he <laughs> didn't care. It wasn't important where he finished. It was important that he enjoyed himself. Yeah, that's all I really want, you know, um, huh. is to be part of the experience and meet some fantastic people and um, um, maybe get to hang out with some hundred percenters. And, you know, maybe in, maybe in at the 100th running, uh, if I run the next 50, I can call myself a 50 percenter. Well, we've got something coming <laughs> for that. OK. Yes. Yeah, uh now, the seven of us have gotten together and made it known to the organizers there needs to be a recognition. There yeah. already is 
with the 25 people, people have run 25 events. Right. And uh, I always credited Bill Lane coming up with that because he was the most unassuming guy. But this to me is his legacy. Sure. For, for the thing. He, I, he came up with the idea of the silver circle. Silver circle is a guy who has run 25 events. Yeah. We'll have a dozen or so more added to that list, which uh, I forget. It's more than 200 on that list now. Okay. But uh, for the 50 year people, we're going to have the Order of the Golden Cone. Oh, I love it. And that will be the seven of us. There can't be another one for another two years before someone else is eligible. Okay. And it's another two years before one more person is eligible. Well, and then it's, and, then it's not, and it goes on like that. So this is not something you're going to see every year. No. And, people are hitting 50, but the seven of us, I think we're all just trying to outlive each other. <laughs> <laughs> well, for, for me to get to 50, I would have to run all of them, and I'll be 100 and th 103 at my 50th. So I don't think that's going to happen, but. <laughs> well, it might not, but you got a shot at the Silver Circle. Yeah, Go for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Rocky, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Well, Brian, I have enjoyed it. Uh, like I say, I can, I can keep you on for another hour if you wanted to. <laughs> well, we will get it, back it's, together. It's, I got too many stories to tell. <laughs> so for, for those of you who are, um, who are solo fanatics, um, we're going to have uh, five more shows like this leading up to the Nationals. Um, to uh, to talk about uh, everything going on. And uh, down the road, let me go through. I'm going to have Karen Babb, Kathy Barnes, and Bob and Patty Tunnel. Uh, oh, perfect. They're going to be one of the shows. Uh, Mark Daddio is going to be another show. Um, Sue, An Sue Anderson, Dick Berger, and Charlie Clark, a couple of other of the 100 percenters, um, are going to be on the show. And then... Um, that the person has won the most among the hundred percenters, person has won a bunch, and the person has won none. Yep. Um, <laughs> uh, Roger Johnson is going to be another one, and then uh, and, and then our final show, which is going to be kind of a preview show, uh, is going to be as I like to refer to him as the the reigning driver of eminence, uh, Larry Lefty McLeod. Um, he's going to come on and, and we're going to do just kind of an overall preview of, of solo national. So we're going to spread them out over the next few months. Uh, so we can, uh, we can ramp up and get people excited about the 50th and you're the first. And, uh, we now have this, the, we now have the, the foundation of the history of the run of, of the nationals. I keep saying the runoffs, the history of the nationals. Um, and, uh, we're just going to build on that and have a good time. So, um, thank you, sir. Enjoy. Very welcome. Thank you for having me. And uh, I look forward to, if all goes well, uh, clanking a glass together in Lincoln in uh, in early September. Oh, absolutely. I'll be down there in the Chiefs row someplace. All right. So that's going to do it for another episode of Inside the SCCA. If you like what you're hearing, subscribe to the Racing Wire Podcast Network so you won't miss any episodes. It would also be great if you leave a comment, especially if it's a good one. You can follow us on social media to find out who our next guest is. Leave some questions on Twitter. It is at RacingWireNet. There's a new episode of Inside the SCCA every Wednesday night live on YouTube. And then also uh, every th uh, Friday morning is the replay on the podcast. I'm Brian Polanski. Have yourself a fantastic weekend. Stay safe and go play with cars.
Hi, I'm Dorsey Schrader, and this is Inside the SECA. Inside the SECA is a presentation of the Racing Wire Podcast Network and Rural 15 Productions. This podcast is not affiliated with, endorsed, or sponsored by the Sports Car Club of America. The views expressed within are those of the host and our guests and not that of the SECA.